Welcome to On Demise with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. <laughs> it's been a crazy week. You know, I say that everywhere. You know, I say, oh, it's been a crazy week. Oh, man, there's chaos in Washington. Crazy week. This week was freaking crazy. And I'm not kidding. I mean, personally and professionally. Uh, you know, first of all, I started the week off in, in I flew up to D.C. to join Vote Vets and a bunch of my other veteran friends to, to lobby Congress about funding Ukraine. That was crazy. We actually standing on Capitol Hill as McCarthy got fired. And then I flew rushing back to St. Louis where we had the DNC, the Democratic National Committee is having their their uh, their annual, uh, excuse me, their fall meeting here in St. Louis. So I could do some interviews to cover that. I did that. I got some great interviews. And then my car didn't start today. And you notice there's no set because <laughs> it's locked in the trunk. It has been awesome. So you know what? We're going to talk about some cool stuff. We got some great interviews. You're going to love this show. I love doing it. I may look crazy, but I had a blast. So, you know, let's get on with the show. Oh, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. As I mentioned, I am still Fred Wellman. I am in St. Louis, Missouri, although there was some question about that. I Ubered here just to see you guys. <laughs> so I am thrilled to welcome you back to the show. Uh, it, it is. It has been an, it's an exciting time in the United States. Obviously, we started the week off uh, with the turmoil in Congress. Uh, Speaker McCarthy got himself fired because he was cocky. You know, there's been a lot of talk about how the Democrats should have saved him. And and I, I just love how AOC put us. It. It's not our job to save them from themselves. Right. At this point, the Republican caucus has made their choices uh, and they need to they need to figure their stuff out for the good of the country. Will that work out? I don't know. But I do stand by. I'm proud of the Democratic uh, you know, the caucus. I think Speaker, I slipped there. Future Speaker Jeffries did a fantastic job of 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 making key decisions. Ms. Pelosi made some great decisions. So I don't know. I, it was interesting to be up there. And I, I tell you what, I'm going to talk about that. The other thing I did that was really fun. I was at the DNC's fall meeting right here in our hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Had the opportunity to serve as press for that, which is why I'm dressed like that. I I just came right from there to here. I'm going to rush back because the vice president's speaking, but I want to get this show to you today. Uh, it has been really interesting, and it's an interesting time. As the Democrats meet in St. Louis to prepare for the election season, you know, it's fall. So I've mentioned several times on the show, it is time to start thinking about the elections and what comes next. So I really had the uh, opportunity, I really enjoyed the opportunity to. You know, kind of hang out. I, I got a chance to talk to a number of the elected officials, talk to a member of the uh, the, the DNC committee members, uh, speak to uh, some key people, which you'll see some of the interviews I did uh, against a wall on the back of the uh, conference center. Um, it is an exciting time uh, to be in America. It's an exciting time to be a Democrat. And you'll see a theme as we as you watch these interviews, and we're going to have some clips um, with the folks I talked to. Number one is we are facing the Virginia election, as my friend um, Simon Rosenberg mentioned when he was on the show about um, about three weeks ago, early voting is occurring right now in Virginia. I can only imagine what a government shutdown would have done to Virginia since a huge impact and what that would have done in the middle of a, essentially the election uh, for the Virginia House and Senate um, that didn't happen, but they're well aware of what it. And then we, we've got the Virginia election. Of course, we're going to election season for 2024. It's, it's just a crazy time. So I really want to talk to some of the leaders that were there. And I set up my camera on the side of the wall and had a couple of interviews, and we're going to run those now. 
first guy I got a chance to talk to, I was really excited about. It. Actually, before I went to my first interview, right, man, I actually, I do want to set something up for. So the, one of the first things I attended was the labor council meeting. Um, they, the way these part, I, it might be a good time to explain how these things work. It's really fascinating. I've never been to one of these before. But what happens is the, the Democrats, the, the delegates and the various elected officials and the committee people from around the country convene together and they have a series of meetings of various things. The big one is the executive committee makes some decisions for the party. The rules committee was the big one that went for several hours today. It was really cool. Donna Brazil was there and some other famous people. Uh, that makes a very key decision about how the party is going to um, support their various party entities around the world, around the country. And they had these caucus meetings uh, from different regions. There's regional ones, Midwestern, Western, Southern, you know, et cetera. And they have council meetings. There's a number of different councils, uh, the labor council. There's a veteran and military family council. I actually spoke at that one today about the great work we're doing for homeless veterans here in St. Louis. Uh, we, uh, there's a, you know, there's a women's council, there's a LGBTQ and they meet and they, they're led by various Democrats around the country and they talk about issues. And so one of the first ones I attended was the labor council and Senator Bernie Sanders actually zoomed in for this. He's still in DC and, uh, and he, <laughs> and he was, you know, he was, Bernie. He was very much on the uh, on the Bernie style of things. And it's it's not the greatest video because I had to kind of videotape uh, a Zoom. But I really, really was impressed by what Bernie was saying, telling some hard truth that does set the tone for the meeting, which we'll discuss more after this clip. But so let's go ahead and run this first clip. This is Bernie Sanders dialing into the Labor Council meeting at the DNC fall meeting in St. Louis with some very uncomfortable truth for the attendees. I know it's going to be provocative, but it is to say it, because if this country is going to be saved, if democracy is going to be saved, if the working class of this country is going to have a decent life, it is the trade union movement that is going to have to lead the way. That's what I believe. I grew up in a working class home. I've been strongly supportive of the trade union movement since I was a kid. That is what I believe. But let me give you some reality that we have got to address. And that is right now, despite the fact that a former president, I'm not going to mention his name, you might know who he is, despite the fact that a former president is well known to be a pathological liar, that during his four years as president, his major walk was to give tax breaks to billionaires, to work against unions, despite the fact that that president, former president, is now under indictment by four separate cases in some of the polls he is actually leading and among working class people he has an enormous amount of support. That's a fact. We may not like it, it is a reality. And the fact is that in many of your unions, you tell me if I'm wrong, 30, 40, 50 percent of your membership, especially the white members, are supporting Donald Trump. Am I wrong or that or am I right? Right. Right. All right, and that's a fact then that we're going to have to deal with. How do we have a leader of a political party that is anti-union, gives tax breaks to the rich, wants to cut Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, education, does not even recognize the reality of climate change, how is that person getting strong working class support and maybe 60, 70% of white working class men? How does that happen? 
We have to address that issue. You can't run away from it. Because if you run away from it, we ain't gonna have much of a country left. And so you can see there, you know, classic Bernie, by the way, if you've ever, if you've ever had the opportunity to hear Mr. You know, Senator Sanders speak, you know, he's, he's, he's something, he's an American original, but this is what he does. He tells the harsh truth and he is saying a very important point. We have a very big problem when 50% of the white males specifically in our labor unions, uh, which the Democratic Party, without question, is the party of labor. It is the, without question, the part of the working man, no matter what our, our friends on the Republican side might say, that we have this problem when 50% of those people who should be thinking of uh, how the party that is actually taking care of them would be, are actually Trumpist. Um, and that's a great way to start the show and kind of set the tone of how important it is. So, I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't sure what to expect in my first DNC meeting. I wasn't sure if I'd see a lot of smoke being blown up each other. <laughs> you know, you don't know what to expect. And I got to tell you guys, what I actually saw were some very level-headed people who understand the moment and understand where they are as we go into the election season and the serious issues they face um, and make sure the party has to do and have honest conversations about those things. I saw a lot of honest conversations like that clip you saw from Mr. Sanders. But having said that, I did have the opportunity, first of all, to talk to DNC Chairman Jamie Harris, of course, from South Carolina, uh, ran for Senate against Lindsey Graham, um, but is now running the party and doing a terrific job. And I really want to get a sense from uh, Mr. Harris, like where the party stands, what are his priorities going into the election, uh, and what is he dealing with as we as we talk about things. And one thing you'll see me talk about in several of these interviews I did was that something I've been saying a lot to um, folks I work with is, you know, a, we're in a sort of a moment right now where what we call, what we would normally call democratic issues are American issues, right? That, that when you see the numbers of the polling, and I heard this in several of the meetings, um, a, a poll came out recently that 70% of Americans not only support unions, they actually support these strikes that have been happening. Um, when you see polls that show 70% um, of Americans support a woman's right to choose. When you see a poll that says over 80 more percent of Americans support the idea of universal background checks. Those are what would normally be called democratic issues, but they're bipartisan when you have those kind of numbers. So I asked some of our, our, our guests on the show this week about that. So, you know, let's not waste any time. I'd love you to watch this interview with chairman of the DNC. Thanks for your time, sir. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. We're at the fall DNC meeting. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I, I sat on the labor council meeting yeah. earlier, just a lot of good stuff going on. How you feeling? What are your priorities going into the election season? Listen, I feel really good. I feel good because one, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a track record that they can run on. Yep. They have one of the best track records probably for any administration, at least in recent history, at least in my lifetime. Yep. And so they have what they need in order to run off. Now it's about building the infrastructure. Now it's about making sure that the messages are penetrating, are going into the communities to let them know about how this president and this vice president and Democrats have delivered for them. And to, at the same time, deliver the contrast right. of how these folks are chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, heads just look at the floor of the house the other day. Um, uh, the, the contrast, the whining that I hear about, well, we only have a five-seat majority. Well, hell, Nancy Pelosi only had a five-seat majority, and she got the bipartisan infrastructure law done. She got the American Rescue Plan done. She got the CHIPS Act done. I mean, I can go on and on and on yep. with a five-seat majority. Yep. Because in the end of the day, Democrats are about delivering for the American people and getting stuff done. Republicans? 
It's about power. Yeah, and chaos. And chaos. I know it feels like at this moment, you know, democratic issues are American issues. 70% of Americans support a woman's right to choose. Exactly right. 80% of Americans choose, you know, want gun background checks. Yeah. 70% of Americans support unions and labor. I mean, it almost feels like democratic issues are truly American issues in a bipartisan way right now. I mean, how, you have to feel good with those being priorities for average Americans. I, I do feel good about it. And, and listen, there's a difference between the parties. In 2020, the Democratic Party passed a party platform that Joe Biden stood for. And we've gotten a lot of those things done. We still got more work to do, as the president said, we've got to finish the job. But the contrast with the Republicans, they right. didn't pass a platform in 2020. <laughs> right, whatever Donald Trump time, wanted, right? Yeah, it's the first time in the history of both political parties that one political party did not pass a party platform. Yeah. Because they don't stand for anything. Yeah. They don't stand for a damn thing. And so uh, the American people are on the side of, they, their values are aligned with the values of the Democratic Party. We still are trying to figure out what the values of the Republican Party right. are. Yeah, Other than they just they want a job, they want a title, they want a position, but they don't want to do anything to with it or to maintain it. And something I say a lot on my show, and we say on the Myers Touch Network a lot, yeah. is that we are winning, right? I mean, since Dobbs, oh my God. Democrats have overperformed by 10 points, right? We just won two more special elections. I, I tell that message a lot. Is that I mean, how are you? How you coming? You, I mean, you're winning. Right we're now. we're overperforming right, right. now yeah, by a point, by 12 points in on all of these special elections. Wow. We won big in Wisconsin in terms yeah. of the Supreme Court race. We just flipped a, a, a state house seat in New Hampshire that was went for Donald Trump by six, and the Democrat just won by 12, right? We took Jacksonville. Jacksonville was the largest city that a Republican controlled as mayor. We just took control of Jacksonville. The Democrat just won there. Yep. In Ohio, uh, that, you know, Republicans are calling Ruby Red Ohio. Well, on the issue of choice, we stood up and we stood in the gap and we beat them. Yeah. Right, and I can and I can look at election after election after election. So what are we doing? We're not hand wringing. That is the thing. There is no woe is me coming out of the DNC or for me, Love because it. it's about being a workhorse, not a show horse. Like you want a show horse, Ronald McDaniel's on TV every damn day. <laughs> but I tell you what, put her track record against mine in terms of winning these special elections exactly. and actually delivering for the American people, and there's no contest. Yep. So, so I'm telling your viewers and everybody else. Stop the tears, stop the hand wringing, start knocking doors, get on the phones, make phone calls, send in your contributions. Let's get the damn work done. Do the work. So that we can protect our democracy and move forward. Leave the chaos to them. It's about being unified in our purpose, in our mission, in our message, in how we mobilize folks. And if we can do that, then we save democracy. Not yeah. only for this nation, but for the whole world. Yeah, and there's a permission structure, and that's where we're at. It's yeah. about democracy at this point. That's exactly We're right. seeing that so clearly. You know, when the Republicans took the House, I went on my show and I said, we're going to get a demonstration of what Republican control of government looks like in a semi-safe way, because it's only like one half and one third of the brain, you know, but it, we've seen it clearly that they don't stand they, they don't they're just fighting amongst themselves and they expect us to save them that's exactly and, and you had a pretty strong statement about the chaos on capitol the other day oh well, yeah you know well you know from the start when they took control back i i and i saw that it took 15 times for mccarthy to become speaker i said we're going to take the house back we're going to yep. take it back in 24. It's, it was a short-term house rental Right? A bad Airbnb. <laughs> right? They're going to mess up the walls and the floor and all that. We're probably going to have to bleach the whole place down. We did it once. But yeah, we've done it once, but we're going to move them out. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to move the moving trucks and get them out of Dodge so we can take back the people's house and do the people's work. Yeah. And we saw the chaos on the floor. You know, we saw the chaos of January 6th. I, you know, 
I call myself a Hill rat. I grew up, I cut my teeth in politics working on Capitol Hill. I love that old building. Yep. I love seeing that dome lit up every night and getting goosebumps still when I do it. Walking through Statuary Hall and feeling the, just the power of, of the potential of this place. And to see how Republicans have denigrated that, that yeah. this August body. But what they did in, in terms of the support on January 6th, Hawley raising his, his fist in, uh, in allegiance with the insurrectionists. Yeah. And now what they are continuing to do to the House of Representatives, it's despicable. So it's time to bring relevance, it's time to bring common sense, it's time to bring progress back to the House. Yep. Hakeem Jeffries, the leader of the House, will bring it. Yeah. If folks haven't seen it, you know, I always thought, man, they're big shoes to fill to come after Nancy Pelosi, Woo! right? <laughs> I said that then, yeah. But Hakeem Jeffries is bringing it. Yeah. And Nancy Pelosi is, is working with him hand and glove along the way. Yeah. And so I'm proud of our Democrats. I'm proud of what we're being able to do. And I'm looking back. I'm looking forward to taking back the House in 2020. Yep. And last question. Yeah. Virginia's early elections are actually yeah. going right. Are early votes going right now? You've invested in Virginia. We have. Um, it's a key over race. Over 1.5 million dollars, making phone calls and doing all we can. And I will be going down to Virginia soon. Great. To work with the candidates there uh, to make sure that we can get the vote out. Yeah. Uh, and that's it's really key. It's really important. Uh, we have to let folks know uh, that, that Democrats are going to fight for them yep. when Republicans just fight for their power. I mean, a, a shutdown would have destroyed Northern Virginia. It, so it really I think they're seeing, all those folks who live there are seeing what possible chaos means. And we still don't know, you know, shutdown yeah. is still possible with, with these Republicans. Yep. You can't trust them in leadership. Yep. Yep. And it's sad. I mean, we got Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans, the White House, and House Democrats all in alignment, knowing. We cannot shut down the, the federal government. But, you know, bless the hearts of the Republicans because who knows what's going to happen with them. Yep. Well, looks like you got a plan. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you. Thank Keep you for fun. having me. Yeah. Appreciate Take care. You. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You know, I'm older, so heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family you want to be able to spend time with as much as possible, is so, so important. We all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure. In fact, more than half the U.S. population would benefit from blood pressure support. So Superbeats Heart Shoes are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure, and they promote heart-healthy energy. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants of Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 30,000 five-star reviews and counting, Superbeats Heart Shoes are having their moment. Superbeats Hard Chews are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Superbeats Hard Chews each morning. It's really kickstarted my morning routine. After taking my Superbeats Hard Chews, I feel like I have more energy and I'm ready to take on the day. Superbeats is the number one pharmacist recommended beat brand for cardiovascular health support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Double your potential with Superbeats Hard Chews. Now, get a three, free 30 day supply of Superbeats Hard Chews and 15% off your first order by going to getsuperbeats.com using promo code FRED. That's getsuperbeats.com and use promo code FRED at checkout. I hope you'll check it out. Thank you, Superbeats, for sponsoring our show. You know, I was the youngest of four kids growing up. Okay, you know what that means if you come from a large family, it means you're the trash guy. Okay, I was the guy who tied those bags up with the rotting food, uh, you know, from big family dinners or the lunchbox meals that didn't get eaten from four kids. It was gross. I hated the job and I still do. Now I'm an adult and I've got a huge garden at my home and I'm obsessed with growing my own food. 
Now, adding Lomi to my home has been so eye-opening for me, and it's completely changed how I view my food waste and what I got to do to help the environment. Lomi transforms my garbage to gold with the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in just four hours. Now, I love composting now. Plus, it's made cooking at home even more fun. There's no food rotting and smelling up the kitchen or attracting critters in the garbage outside. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash about once a week, and it's you know kind of hassle-free and mess-free finally. No more leaking bags like I had in my youth. It's much cleaner now. Now, now here's the cool part for me too, you know. I turn my waste into nutrient-rich earth and dirt that I can feed my plants and, as I mentioned, my huge garden. And that means I'm not, it's not going to landfills. It's not producing methane gas. What it is producing is tomatoes that my local squirrels eat, but I still do produce tomatoes. <laughs> so I get to help the environment. And make my life easier. Now, all my food scraps, plant clippings, and even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food right there. Now, Lomi's new app also lets me track my environmental impact, earn points for every cycle, redeem for freemies from Lobi and other great brands. So it feels great to know that I'm creating Lomi Earth instead of waste. With it, I have basically a limitless supply of plant food for my garden, plus I'm helping save the planet. Now, when you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden like I am, Lomi is perfect for you. So head to Lomi.com slash Fred and use the promo code Fred to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 when you head to Lomi.com slash Fred and use promo code Fred at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. That was a great talk. Um, it was, you know, the... I love the simple message. Uh, you know, we are winning. Uh, it's going to take work. Uh, but you look at the numbers. As he said, we're overperforming now. Democrats are overperforming by 12 points in elections since Dobbs. It's it, it, just like what Simon Rosenberg said in the show. The only poll that matters, folks, is elections. And they're consistently winning elections. And to make sure that keeps happening, you heard very clearly the Democrats have invested in Richmond in, in Virginia. Now, um, the next one we're going to talk to is Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota. Um, so I tried to go federal, state, local. <laughs> and then the next one we're going to talk to is the actual mayor of Richmond, Virginia. Virginia, who's being affected by these plots. So I kind of want to get you the, 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 the spread. So um, as I was sitting in one of those other councils, uh, I actually ducked into the Midwest Council because I live in Missouri, as you know, and it was terrific. Um, some really smart people. But I got to tell you, the lieutenant governor of the state of Minnesota, uh, Ms. Peggy Flanagan, uh, gave a speech to the Midwest Council. I got to tell you, it's not often you get a stem liner of a speech at one of these conferences. And she gave a stem liner talking about what they're doing. And you'll see the setup in the interview. But I was reading an article just the other day uh, from, I believe, the AP, and we can post it to the website later, or the Substack about how now that Minnesota and Michigan have unified government, meaning they have both the Senate, the House, and the governor of Manchin, what they're able to do. And our guest, Greg Sargent, had been on the show a while ago. Greg's been writing a lot about how the way to beat back the MAGA government movement, the MAGA movement at the state level, you know, the, the, the Rand, Ron DeSantis crazy, uh, the Texas crazy, is for liberal governors to do liberal, implement liberal programs. And I got to tell you, 
Minnesota is a great example of that. There's a wonderful picture. We'll have to get it of Governor Tim Waltz uh, signing the free breakfast program for kids, free or free lunch program for kids, and it, laughing kids having a good time, as opposed to the picture of Sarah Sanders signing the signing the the school voucher program with a bunch of kids look like they're going to their funerals. It is a very different approach, and and that really showed in, in, in Lieutenant Governor Flanagan's speech and in this conversation. And it's it's kind of a funny setup, so you know, I was literally walking the hallway. And saw her and said, hey, ma'am, would you go on my show? And she did. <laughs> so we literally just walked right over to my camera, flipped it on, and had this wonderful conversation. So here's Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan of the great state of Minnesota. Lieutenant Governor, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it here in the Myest Touch Network here at the DNCO. You know, I caught your speech yesterday, your conversation in the Midwest Caucus Council yesterday. And, man, you got people out on their feet talking about what you guys have done in Minnesota. And, and one of the things I use a theme a lot is uh, there's been a articles written about how governors like yourself, the, the governor yourself uh, over in, in next door in Michigan, what they're doing with now you've gotten the government under control, you've got a progressive government in charge, and you're doing things. What are the kind of things you guys are doing now you've got all the government in your hands. Sure. So um, we've got a one-seat majority in the Senate, <laughs> um, but it's still a majority. That is, um, right. And I think, you know, we won that seat by 321 votes in a swing district. Wow. And uh, field works, I guess. That's the, the first thing that, that folks should know. But we've been able to, to do a, a lot of phenomenal things, um, yeah. such as uh, passing one of the most robust paid family and medical leave policies in the country, yep. free breakfast and lunch for every kid. Saw who's the pictures of the governor school. signing that. Yeah, I use yeah. I use the juxtaposition of all the kids laughing next to mm -hmm. you know, Sarah Sanders. It's a, <laughs> it's a very different vibe. Yeah, different vibe. Um, but really, you know, just personally, that's the most important thing yeah. I've ever worked on. I was a kid on free and reduced price lunch, and mm -hmm. it it really matters. Um, incredible investments in childcare, early learning scholarships, right? Our, our littlest Minnesotans, uh, we have passed the most, uh, the, the largest investment ever in, in public education. And as a recovering school board member, I can tell you, <laughs> we've now also have predictable funding, um, yeah. indexing uh, education funding to inflation, wow. which is, you know, um, allow school districts to, to predict uh, a little bit better what's what's coming and to yeah. prepare for for our students. Um, we codified access to uh, abortion in, in state law. We've passed some of, um, you know, some of the most uh, thrilling, because I'm a, a real policy nerd, um, initiatives around uh, climate change right. um, and mitigating climate change, looking right. at you know clean energy and green jobs. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, yeah. but it also has been a, a, a lot of work. About 10 years ago, um, we also had a trifecta in our state. I was yep. on the the outside as a as an advocate, but I can tell you, um, for many of us who lived through that. Uh, you know, we passed some good stuff, but we needed to go go bigger. And yeah. so this time, we've done uh, so much organizing work, building relationships, building that trust, coming back, you know, keep refining the policies till we get them exactly where we want. And then we could run as hard and as fast as, as we wanted to this session. And it wasn't a secret. We told Minnesotans, 
what right. we were going to do. We simply kept those promises, and I'm really hopeful about, about what's possible um, in the future. And you said something key. It, it doesn't happen by accident, right? right. You, you said something 10 years ago. You said field work. You said organizing. You're an organizer. I looked at mm -hmm. your, your Twitter bar. It says organizer that's on right. it. That's <laughs> right. I think right after lieutenant governor. <laughs> and that's key, right? I mean, we, we you know, I think too often we, we often hear the Democrats wring hands. I've actually had three conversations with that conversation. You did the hard work. What's the hard work that needs to be done? I mean, the hard work is relationship building. It is knocking on doors. It is being really clear that there are no off years. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, when we go through legislative sessions together, that we make sure that in our office, in the governor's office, and in, you know, the House and Senate, that we are always having conversations. Um, we are talking to advocates. We are moving a strategy uh, together. and. You know, for many of us who are advocates and doing this work on the outside, yeah, we ran for office and now we're on the inside, right? And and that really matters. Um, I think to to be able to stay connected to the people who elected you, yeah, and be able to have that lived experience going in. Um, you know, it it really is. You know, I was raised on the Wellstone for Senate campaign ah. um, in in two thousand and two, and so. I know that uh, field and showing up in community and frankly just listening, um, the best solutions come from communities themselves and that is what we have been able to implement and it's what we've been able, able to do. Um, and so I love being here and getting fired up, <laughs> but we're getting fired up to do the work, right? right? It right. is about making sure we are in community, we're calling folks, we're knocking on doors, we're having these conversations and we're starting now for you know what we need to do in 395 days. One thing I did want to touch on, you said very specific and I was very impressive, you talked about the fact that child tax credit had disappeared at the federal level and you guys took, you didn't waste any time on that. What did you guys do in Minnesota? So in Minnesota we passed uh, a child tax credit that will lower poverty, uh, child poverty by 33 percent in our state. Um, combined with uh, what we did around uh, housing, what we did uh, around um, free breakfast and lunch for kids, um, we're really helping families uh, to, yeah. to, to, to frankly try to get ahead. Yeah. Um, if if families can access everything that's available to them, um, you know they're going to be they're going to be in good shape. And I think that that is uh, that's really what we're what we're put there yeah. uh, to do. And we saw this policy that was incredible and and we saw it really bring so much comfort mm -hmm. and confidence yeah. um, to so many families uh, and it is unfortunate uh, that Republicans in Washington um, you know really let down uh, children um, yeah. infants and their mothers yeah. uh, you know they talk a big game uh, but when it comes down to it um, we've just seen uh, a lot of talk and not a lot of do and so I hope that other states will follow the example of Minnesota and what we've been able to do. And if Washington won't lead, we will. <laughs> you know, that's why I want to talk to you. Uh, I, I was reading an article in the AP. I believe the legislature had a, a list of 30 items they were going to check off, and they checked them all off, yeah. <laughs> which is unbelievable, right? And it, it's about getting the work done. Um, having said that, um, what's next? So what's next and what I think about every day is implementation. Okay, yeah, um, right. <laughs> it sounds great passing the law, That's but then exactly you gotta right. actually do the... That's right. That makes sense. And making sure that you know the families know about what is available ah, to them. So right. for this child tax credit, we need to make sure that people, right, are... Check the box. Are checking the box, right, are getting, um, are getting uh, this 
this investment in, in their families. Um, paid family medical leave, we have to make sure that this goes well. As we're getting out you know, additional rental assistance to families, we have to make sure that that goes well. So I am just thinking about um, all these investments that we've made. We have to implement them uh, well. It has to. People have to know about them so they take advantage of what is available to them. Yeah. So that then we can make the case to say these are sound investments. Right. We are watching child poverty drop. We are watching home ownership and housing stability and achievement uh, increase. Yeah. So um, we should continue to fund these things. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about all the time. Show the results. Yeah. 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 It's, it's easy. And then then you get more policies passed and you show people and they vote for us. Exactly. Well, sounds like your organizing roots are still in fact. I mean, it's nice to organize as a lieutenant governor and able to implement your policies. It's well. uh, it's it's uh, it's fun, and uh, <laughs> I got a power map in my office for every uh, policy that's important to it's us. It's funny when I was I was trying to hunt you down, and everybody said, "Oh yeah, she's a happy warrior." <laughs> I appreciate that you know, coming from Minnesota. It. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So well, I really appreciate your time, and thanks. Thank you. I, I can't look forward to getting this out. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, ma'am, so much. I appreciate it. Thank so, you. Thanks. I really enjoyed that conversation, by the way. And by the way, she's a happy warrior. As I mentioned at the end of the interview there, she really is a, uh, um, a positive person. You can tell she's an organizer. Organizers, if you know organizers, you know, the, the people who are actually the ones doing the groundwork for, for issues. And this is how they are. They're a lot of fun. And that's what she did. And finally, the last thing that I got at the DNC today um, was with uh, Mayor LeVar Stoney of Richmond. Now, as you may know, I actually lived in Richmond, Virginia for a couple, three years before moving here to St. Louis. So I was actually a constituent of, of, of Mayor Stoney's. I was there during the BLM protest during the pandemic, um, witnessed it firsthand, which does come up on our interview, uh, of what he had to deal with. And he's had a tough, I mean, he's, he's got some scuff marks on him. We talk about the interview. He's, you know, he's, you know every, every mayor always has some critics and, and then police made some mistakes there. There's. You know, it's not without its challenges. But um, Mr. Stoney is also the chairman of the uh, the Democratic Mayor Alliance, Mayor Alliance. So he's actually national, the national chair of the Democratic Mayor's uh, Committee. And we had a great conversation about, one, how critical this election is in Virginia. As you go into the cycle, how you know Virginia's election has always been seen as sort of beller. How any of us can forget what a shockwave it sent out that one year after Biden was elected, um, Glenn Youngkin took Virginia. And of course, there was a lot of discussion of why that was. Oh, CRT, fear in Northern Virginia. Um, but those of us who are activists know that a lot of it was because not enough work was done to turn out rural voters. Not enough work was done to actually turn out Democrats in mass. And Glenn Youngkin able to organize and beat them. There's that term again, organizing, right? We can't just hope. Hope is not a strategy, but we organize. So I had a great, I really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to give you a, a local perspective. What are Democratic mayors dealing with? I mean, uh, you got the critical election coming up. We talk about the challenge of trying to run Democratic city in a red state now where your own state's hostile to you. Yet again, a story I read recently uh, was highlighted quite a bit of here, what's happening here in St. Louis, Missouri, where our Democratic mayor is under constant fire from our our 20-year uh, majority Republican rule and what that means and how that actually makes it harder for them to rule when they're passing gun laws that make it easier to get guns. Uh, so this is a great conversation with a really smart guy. So let's talk about, let's talk, bring in uh, Mayor LeVar Stoney. Great to be here, sir. Appreciate it, Mr. Mayor. Come and join us. Thank you. Uh, uh, Mayor of Richmond, Stoney, LeVar, um, LeVar Stoney, sorry with that. I'm going to edit that. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Welcome, welcome to St. Louis, by the way. As yes. you know, I'm a old Richmond uh, citizen myself. I did yes. move here to St. Louis two years ago. I was there through your entire term. I voted for you twice. Thank um, you. You've had, a, you've had some early challenges. So 
But I think up front, I think a lot of people, what's on their mind right now is we know, you know, Virginia elections every, you know, are, are off cycle, but they're always seen as a bellwether, yeah, right? And right. of course, Glenn Youngkin's election was a bit of a shockwave for the country. Yes. Now you're facing another one here coming up. How important is this election, I think nationally, and then of course for Richmond? You know, we always in Virginia tell voters that this is the most significant, most critical election <laughs> in is, your right? life. I was freaking out. That's right. But I'm here to tell you that it is the most critical, right. most significant election in your life. Here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, voting rights is on the ballot. Yep. Reproductive rights are on the ballot. Yep. Climate justice is on the ballot. And we have seen the playbook that has been employed by the Republican Party, these MAGA rollback Republicans employed in Florida, yep. employed in Texas, and employed in Georgia and other states throughout the South. And if you want to see that same sort of style of government, that same, those policy initiatives led by the Republican Party in Virginia, then just give Glenn Youngkin the House yeah. and the Senate. Here's yeah. the thing, Glenn Youngkin raised $4 million, $4.4 million on a Tuesday. Not in a quarter, not in a year, Jesus. on a Tuesday. So we yeah. have money flooding in from all across the country because they want to take over the House and the Senate. But here's the thing. We have great candidates up and down the ballot who believe in the best of Virginia. And I believe come election day, we're going to take back uh, the Senate, take back the House, and also retain our control of the Senate. I'm very confident. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be a good day. Um, you've had you know Louise Lucas, of course, has held the uh, held the That's blue right. wall. You know she's a heroic lady. And and you know for how how easy it is for us to actually get distracted and start focusing on 2024. Yeah. The first battle of 2024 is 2023 Virginia. And yeah. so we have to conjure all the will, the finances. Uh, the, 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 the sweat, the equity to go out there and knock on these doors, contact voters, yeah. and make sure that all eyes have to be on Virginia over the next 30, 30 And do the hard work, right? As, uh, I, and I was in the general, uh, when I was in the Army, we had a chief of staff of the Army said, hope is not a strategy. That's exactly right. <laughs> right? Hope is not a strategy. We're yeah. running the majority project uh, all across the state with all these great candidates. We yep. have, we're, we're hopeful and grateful, not hopeful, grateful for the help of uh, the DNC, $1.5 million. Yeah, Jamie told me that so, yesterday. Yeah. They, they, they've actually invested, and I was just in an article today, the RNC hasn't, although with Glenn Youngkin raising gobs of money, you don't have to. That's exactly right. You know, I was thinking about a lot, too, as I was prepping to talk to you. Uh, there was an article a couple months ago, or about a month ago, about how hard it is to run a city as a Democratic mayor right now when you've got a Republican state government that actually is sort of hostile to your needs. Yeah. And right here in St. Louis, we have a huge problem, flood of guns. I know you have actually talked about this, how it, and it also it has to do with this election coming yeah. up. How hard is it to control gun violence, to, to, to handle affordable housing, handle homeless, when your own Republican legislature and governor, who, by the way, reside in your city, Resides <laughs> sort of, in my city sort of fights you on it, right? So, so here's the thing. You know, we have a Republican governor, a Republican House of Delegates, and so we don't have full control of the the, the, the government apparatus at the state level. Right. And we lack home rule as well. Right. All right. So did you think about the federal laws that are on the books? And we don't manufacture firearms and weapons of war in the city of Richmond. We don't have gun shops in the city of Richmond. But for some reason, guns find their ways into the hands of those who are unfortunately mental, mentally ill yeah. or those who are just shouldn't have a gun either way. Or if you're too young to have a gun, those guns find their ways to our communities. And so uh, the Democratic majorities that we had a couple years back were able to pass some, um, some, some pretty good laws, some yeah. gun safety laws for Virginia. However, I think we need to go further. There's no way that someone who's mentally ill, someone who has uh, a child should ever have access to a weapon of war. Yeah. And also, 
we're talking about common sense gun laws, like you know, just safe storage laws and right. penalties for not storing your gun. Because in my city, what we find out is that people are stealing the weapons from vehicles, yeah. walking, going into homes, and the weapon now, the gun, is sort of like the new like Nikes, right? Yeah. In, in our communities, where the folks want to show off, it's for the clout in their community about, hey, I got a new weapon, check out my gun. And so we need more help on, on those issues, but also I look at affordable housing as well. We yeah. put $50 million uh, up for affordable housing over the course of the next five years. It's $10 million a year. We believe we can build out 1,000 new affordable housing units each year wow. over the course of the next decade. And we use 20 million of the American Rescue Plan to also fund affordable housing. So $70 million over seven years. Now. A lot of this assistance will be drying up come 2026. Right. The federal government and the Biden administration stepped up for, for cities. This is the biggest investment we've seen from federal government since the Great Society. However, if you want to continue with that sort of uh, leadership at the federal level, you need to reelect Joe Biden. Right. You need to send Democrats back to uh, to the Senate and, and control and also keep, and take over the House with uh, Keem Jeffries. And so yeah. that's what I'll be focused on in 2024. I love it. You know, what, and going back a little bit a few years, I did live in Richmond during the BLM protests. Yeah. It was a tough time. Uh, you guys were the center of the attention for the country, right? Yeah. In the end, Monument Avenue, and, and I was, the, I think I told your colleague, I was, I lived just below Libby Hill, so yeah. uh, one day I went walking my dog up there, and there was armed guys from South Carolina license plates with, with, with uh, AR-15s power washing the Confederate monument. So it was a, it was a pretty, I mean, for, for any kind of a politician, mayor of a city, again, being the capital of Virginia, you took that fight on, it, it took some scuffs on it. Took some scuffs on it, and here's the thing, what I've recognized in uh, public service and in leadership is that uh, sometimes you don't get to choose the moments, the moments choose you. And I am I'm proud of that we rose to the occasion and we met our moment as a, as a city. Uh, and that we removed every single, uh, Confederate monument in the city. And there's the thing, there were so many people who told me that you're going to ruin the city of Richmond, yep. you're going to ruin our reputation, which I, don't, I can't believe people would even tell me that, that the, <laughs> the, the world would cave in on Richmond. And here's the thing, ever since we made that major cultural move, we've seen economic growth, we've seen population growth, and we've seen cultural growth. Yeah. Uh, I, I think those monuments, whether it's the Robert Lee monument or the Jeb Stewart monument, uh, they, they cast a large shadow over the city, some black clouds, uh, which I thought held us back in, yeah. ter in terms of being a competitive city, not just in the South, but also in the Mid-Atlantic and the East Coast. And now I feel like folks want to come to a place that is authentic about the history, that tells both sides of the story, which we're focused on, and particularly uplifting the stories of Shaco Bottom, where you live nearby, yep. right? Yep. Uh, where the enslaved, which is where one of the yep. busiest slave ports for uh, domestic slave trade back in the day. So we want to lift up that story and give the authentic story on both sides of what Richmond was and what it is today. We get to write the next chapter of Richmond. Right, the residents who live here today, and I'm proud of the moves that we've made and the fact that folks are recognizing us for making a major, but here's the thing, I hope that this is a model for other localities to take this step as well. I look at what we've done and what the Washington Post has said. Washington Post said more cities should follow the lead of Richmond than what we did. Yeah, yep. we had a process, we heard people out, but when it was time to act, we acted. Yep.
and it's it's and it's worth it. I, mean, I think it's better for the city. And you have to know the history of it. I mean, those That's were right. put there for a reason. And there's, I put never, there all white neighborhood. I never advocated for those monuments to be destroyed. No, you never said a word. But I do believe they should be removed from public squares and plazas and in parks and whatnot. Because remember, these individuals were erected on pedestals because of not what they did for the United States of America, but what they did in four years, mm -hmm. right? In 1861 to 1865, they were being venerated and celebrated because of what they did for four years, taking up arms against the United States of America, okay. and also their attempts to keep black people in bondage. Right, and there's nothing like it. And it's, it's sickening to see Republicans like Vivek Ramaswamy try to compare, oh or Tim Scott say that the Great Society was worse. I mean, it's oh the, the Florida, it, it's just shocking. So. It, you know, and it, it's, to me, it is a smack in the face more than that, uh, actually, if I could say other words. You, know, you can't so, learn that to, word. To, to, <laughs> to, to African Americans and the contribution is that uh, black Americans make in this country. Yeah. And I think that's what the Republican Party has is all wrong. I know that uh, some voters have a difficult choice between the parties, but for me, uh, it's never been a difficult choice. Yeah. I know the party that actually uplifts the voices of, of black people and brown people in this country, and it's not the Republican Party, it's the Democratic Party. Yep, I appreciate it. And last question, I'll let you go. You know, Democrat Mayor's Alliance, you know, you, you guys are, you've got, you're, you're running that now. What's the number one priority for you guys as you go into this new year? We're getting ready for election season. Um, where's the push there? Well, I think we know, right? Well, you know, I'm a political <laughs> animal, so uh, I'd say the number one priority is making sure that Democrats win all across this country and in cities small and large. You know, we were able to win uh, the, the Jacksonville city uh, Huge seat. win. Yeah, yeah, huge win. It was one of the largest cities with a Republican mayor now. Donna Deegan is the, the Democratic mayor there. But what we're looking at is, number one, how do we utilize the dollars that are coming out of the federal government because we have a, a small window for some of these dollars to expire? Yeah. For instance, the child care cliff is something that will be a priority of ours moving forward. Uh, we know that some of those dollars and subsidies were going to child care during the pandemic to now have expired, and a lot of our workforces across uh, the country are, uh, they depend upon child care. Yeah. If you are a parent, you can't get your child uh, into quality child care while you're at work, you're likely going to have to stay home. Right. Mothers and fathers. Yeah. And so, how do we go about solving this child care crisis? Like gotta, yeah, and interesting. Uh, what I love about being a mayor is that there are Democrats, there are Republicans, and then there are mayors, right? <laughs> we have to be in the business of fixing problems, the solutions business, and not in necessarily the partisan business. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. It's good seeing you here in St. Louis. Yes. Being back Come back to Richmond. Uh, about three weeks. So. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you. Thank good you so much. You. Appreciate Thank it. You. Really enjoyed that conversation. And, and you can see, you know, how important it is that we take on these issues, see how important it is we organize and fight for the values and issues that we care about to get them passed. Right. And, and, I, and I think you see from all three of the interviews you just watched, uh, all three of our guests this week about how important it is how positive they are. I mean, I think if you walk away with nothing and I walked away with nothing from those interviews is there's great momentum. There's great hope and enthusiasm. There's also that harsh reality that our friend Dennis Aftercut talks about. If you've watched previous shows, he talks about, you know, you, know, you, can, you, have to have, you have to have to face the harsh reality, the harsh truth. And the hard truth is we do have to do the work. Our opponents on the other side are very, very active. They're very engaged right now because they're running a primary, whereas the Democratic side is not running a presidential primary to any great extent. So our, our opponents are very energized right now, whereas we have to organize and get out there and do the work now. The Democratic side has to get 
fired up. But man, what I saw all week this week here in St. Louis, uh, this last couple of days, was a lot of fire. A lot of people who are motivated to try and change the country for the better. It is with the strikes that are going on and and the and the bold moves made by labor to to, to get what the American worker deserves. Um, there is a great place for the Democratic Party to have its position. And and what I saw firsthand at the at the at the events that I attended uh, is people who recognize the reality of the face um, are willing are are eager to make changes to their own party to meet the demands of those who need change and help, uh, but also are enthusiastic about their chances of, of, of beating back this MAGA movement. So it, it's great stuff. So the DNC for me has been a really educational experience. Uh, I'll be going back after we get done here and you guys can see this great show. Uh, but uh, I really love the imposing. And now I really want to talk about my experience in D.C. Uh, when I was up in Washington with Vote Vets to talk about Ukraine. But first, we got two more great sponsors for our show I want you to hear from. And then let's talk about Ukraine. You know, if you've watched this show for more than a minute, you probably already figure that I'm kind of a hot mess. I don't know if it's my ADHD, being busy, just being a stereotypical guy. I have a hard time juggling my bills, my work, my family. And one of the most challenging aspects of all this is keeping track of the many things I've subscribed to over the years, you know, from people's sub stacks to streaming services to gym memberships, newspapers. I sign up for things. I put down my credit card, forget I ever did it. If you're like me, subscriptions are draining your wallet. That's before I get to all the free trials I signed up for over the years and never got around to canceling. They end up piling up and taking a chunk of my budget just about every month. I guess I'm not alone with this issue. I was shocked when I found that over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. I mean, seriously, think how many times you've signed up for something and then never canceled it. That's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. It even recently tipped me off that I'd actually paid too much money on my cable bill and alerted me to the price increase so I could keep track of it next month, all on one app. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. You know, most people think they're spending maybe $80 on subscriptions, when in reality, the number's closer to $200. And when you sign up for so many things like those streaming services I mentioned just to watch one show or a free trial for a delivery that you don't use ever again, it's really easy to lose track of what you're paying for. And with Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. If you're like me, I hate sitting on the phone all day trying to convince people to just let me cancel service I don't want. Well, with Rocket Money, there's no more long hold times or annoying emails of customer service. Rocket Money takes care of it all for you. They can even negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So finally, you know, Rocket Money also lets you monitor all your expenses in one place. It recommends custom budgets based on your past spending and they'll send you notifications when you've reached your spending limit. With over 3 million users, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things like you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Fred. That's rocketmoney.com slash F-R-E-D. Rocketmoney.com slash Fred. And start taking control of your finances today for free. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. 
And instead of chemicals, Fume uses all natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your Fume comes an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used Fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up and I feel pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume, accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Now, head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the Journey Pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. Back one last time. So the organization Vote Vets, my good friend John Soltz and his organization, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan for many years. Uh, even though John and I believe it or not, it's actually an important story to tell. You'll laugh about this. When I was a graduate student, I was still an Army officer at a little school up in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Harvard. Um, I had the opportunity um, to to attend a seminar with the brand new group, progressive group, Vote Vets. And a guy named John Soltz, who just got back from Iraq, like me, uh, was running it. And he came in uh, because John was actually opposing to the, the surge. And of course, I was still an army officer and pretty Republican then. And I was invited by Ned Lamont, if you know that name, to attend his seminar. And that's how I met John Soltz. I kind of, I was the guy to come in and yell at him. <laughs> and uh, and it was a very respectful conversation. I came away impressed, impressed by John and what he was doing. And, and, and by God, he's still going. And they've built a unique organization that is the leading progressive veterans organization that helps elect veterans around the country. They've sponsored a number of candidates I have worked with. And I've, I've actually never done an, an official event with them, but they were kind enough to ask me to fly to D.C. Uh, and join a, a veterans fly-in that focused on Ukraine funding. Because what happened originally, also, we were going to fly to talk about the shutdown. But when the shutdown didn't occur, what happened instead was they cut the Ukraine funding out of the CR. So for those who don't know, they did pass a 45-day continuing resolution. That's what got Kevin McCarthy fired. But to do that, they cut Ukraine funding out of it. And so I was able to attend a couple of briefings and hear from some elected officials and even some uh, government officials about what that means. Essentially, there is money still being spent for Ukraine. About $2 billion remains the previously approved spending. And because the reason it takes time is we're not just writing checks. We're not writing checks to Ukraine. We're not shipping pallets of money like we did in Iraq for a while. These are often government contracts to buy weapons, to buy ammunition from American manufacturers or foreign manufacturers because much of the stuff they use is Soviet, old Soviet equipment. That process takes time. So there still is about $2 billion working its way through the process. The problem right now with not having a continued resolution that includes the $24 billion that the president asked for for Ukraine funding is the government can't make any new contracts, any new orders using that funding. And that basically puts a pause. So at some point, there's going to be a problem where we can no longer give our allies the ammunition, the supplies they need, or the, the funding they need. And that's going to leave um, that's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a gap because this is a hot war. This is a war like 
nothing we've seen in this century. Uh, as one army officer we spoke to described it, this is land warfare that we haven't seen since World War One. Um, they do not have air supremacy. Near side does. Uh, that means it's a grinding ground war, and they're using gobs of gobs and gobs of ammunition to do that. It's a grinding, unfortunate war. And you, Ukraine is doing well. The offensive is continuing and is actually breaking through. So they are actually in the move. If you saw the reports, uh, the Black Sea Fleet has been moved from Crimea because of the threats and the number of hits that the Ukrainians have done successfully against the Black Sea Fleet. So they are pushing Putin back, uh, but they need help. And and I had the opportunity uh, while I was there, one, to meet with their elected officials. Uh, you can see some pictures. We'll throw some pictures up of the beat. You can see me hidden in the background, holding the sign, looking very stern, I might say. <laughs> and uh, and we also had a chance to talk to elected officials like Senator Blumenthal, Senator Kane, um, Senator Duckworth showed up, a number of congressmen showed up, Andy Kim. Uh, it was really great to see the enthusiastic turnout. And then my friend Eugene Vinman came over. And Eugene, of course, is retired Army colonel. He's the brother of Alex Vinman, who you may know. Uh, Eugene was also pushed off the National Security Council under Trump. He has very strong feelings about that. And But one of the things Eugene did, he's a lawyer, actually. He was an Army JAG officer. And once he got out, one of the things Eugene's been doing is helping the legal aspects of life in Ukraine. You know, as you may know, they are indeed battling uh, corruption that's deep-seated for many, many years. Uh, President Zelensky has taken that on, uh, other legal issues. And so... Um, Eugene's been traveling regularly to Ukraine to help them. Uh, so he's very much an expert in what's happening, not to mention the fact that he and Alex were born in what is now the Ukraine. Um, when was the part of the Soviet Union? And are actually uh, immigrants from there. So um, as we were getting ready to speak on Capitol Hill and have our press conference, uh, Eugene was kind enough to speak to the group of veterans that were gathered, answer a few of our questions, and I had the chance to ask a couple questions. And this first question, this first clip you'll see, um, one of my colleagues asked him very directly, you know, when we leave here as veterans, as activists from across the country, we have people from all over the country, you know, what is it? that we should tell our average American fellow citizens, what can they do to ensure we support Ukraine and support this, um, this fight for freedom and democracy? Probably the most important thing people in the local community can do is talk to your local representative. Let them know that you care. There's this story going around that there is just, um, that people are getting tired about the war and that, you know, attention's shifting. And I don't know that I believe that. I think that there's one issue that unites Americans left or right, because we understand freedom, whether you're on the left or right side, you may have slightly different definition of freedom. You might describe it in different language, but you know when you see it. Americans know that what they're seeing, other than a handful of, of MAGA, Putin bootlickers, really, um, that uh, the Ukrainians are fighting for freedom. And so let your representatives know that you support Ukraine and that you're watching them and that you expect them to support Ukraine and that you'll hold them accountable during the next election. That's a great answer. And it, it, it's, it's something we say a lot here in the show. Um, you start at home, right? You start with your local congressman, you start with your local representative, um, you hold their feet to the fire no matter what party they are, that this is important to us as Americans, that we are fighting not just Russia, Russia is not just trying to invade Ukraine. This is a fight against the 
global democracy. This is a fight against freedom. And we need to remain the arsenal of freedom as we've been for centuries and matters. It matters at every level. And then I had a chance to ask uh, Eugene a question myself. And I asked him, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm, I've heard whispers of is that, you know, people overseas are watching this madness unfold and have questions. I asked Eugene, um, what are Ukrainians saying about uh, the political turmoil here, and 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 what's he think of that? And and he gave a very direct answer because you know what, few people have a more personal um, experience with the onslaught of what Donald Trump will do to you uh, if you cross him than the Vindman families. What are you hearing from over there? Are there worried? I mean, is there worry because of this nightmare political situation? They're worried. Every time I go over there, ask they ask about well, what's going on with uh, the U.S. What's going on with. Uh, with uh, Donald Trump, and I try to be reassuring. I, I guess I'm maybe a little bit of a, a fatal optimist in that regard, but I think Trump is through. He's a he's a criminal. He has no integrity. The American American people see who he is at this point. So um, the media might like to make it out that you know he's got uh, thousands of people at his rallies. I don't think I don't believe that personally. I think that even if he wins the nomination. He's going to lose the election and by a landslide. And um, I will certainly do everything I can to make sure that happens. Uh, and when I go over there, I reassure my um, Ukrainian friends that that is what the American people will do as well. He's heard it. So he's going to do everything he can <laughs> to, to ensure that Donald Trump is the president again. And we need to do everything we can to ensure Donald Trump is not the president again, uh, not just for the United States, but for Ukraine. So as Congress is debating this, this is bipartisan support, by the way. Um, sure, there are the loud voices. There's the Margie Taylor Greene. Margie Taylor Greene met with Code Pink, the ultra far left peace organization, because they're anti-Ukraine funding. And Margie Taylor Greene is without a moral compass and will do anything with anybody. So it's that's where we're at. So there are the MAGA fools uh, who, for reasons I can't possibly explain other than the fact there must be Russian tools that are doing Putin's even probably indirect bidding because they're too stupid to know they're actually doing Putin's actual bidding, but they're doing Putin's bidding. And there, but that's not universally the entire Republican Party, certainly isn't the Democratic Party. And there are even voices on the left. But in the end, there is bipartisan support for continued Ukraine funding. I believe the president is going to give a speech about it shortly. So this is important. So start your local congressman. I do believe it's important. You know, for the cost of about three to five percent of the one year U.S. Department of Defense budget, the less than five percent of our total DOD budget has been what we've spent to essentially help Ukraine destroy almost fifty percent of the Russian military and their ability to be a global threat, a threat to Europe. That, my friends, is one hell of an ROI. And we should support that. And that's an ROI for freedom. That's an investment in the freedom of Europe and the freedom of the world. That is money well spent. And when your friends try to say it's not being accounted for, that is a damn lie. We are not shipping pallets of money. We are shipping weapons that are being very carefully monitored, handed out, signed for, accounted for, and they're destroyed. The Ukrainians are taking it very seriously. The U.S. Embassy there is taking it very seriously. The DOD organization that handles weapons distribution to our allies is handling it very seriously. We had General Ben Hodges, who actually lives in Europe, uh, tell us all about that in a previous show. So please, when your friends tell you, oh, well, you know, it's all about, it's all about, you know, giving them money. It's not money. It is investment 
in freedoms, investment, and saving lives. And I'll leave my last note on Ukraine is, as I came home from Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, Thursday morning, the Russians sent a missile into a grocery store and a cafe that was full at lunchtime in a village with no, mil no military targets. Where that missile landed in Ukraine had no military targets in it. They fired a missile and killed 60 people, mostly women and children, on purpose. So please, I don't want to hear any bullshit about how the Russians just want to be left alone or they were nervous about NATO and that Ukraine needs to give up territory to appease the Russians. No, let me be very clear. Fuck the Russians. Okay? They're slaughtering innocent civilians for no reason on their own megalomania and foolishness. So I hope you'll write your congressman. I hope you'll tell them that you care about Ukrainian funding. Your veterans that you know are care about Ukrainian funding. This is important. So thanks for that. Thanks for VoteVets again for inviting me up. Uh, you can learn more about them at VoteVets pretty much everywhere. We use the hashtag Veterans for Ukraine if you want to tweet about it. But let's, let's take this very seriously because it matters to the world. With that, that's our show this week. Kind of a different kind of show, right? We, uh, <laughs> my first remotes, uh, we were laughing in, in, the, in the studio before you came on that uh, I, 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 I didn't know this was going to work. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I was literally the night before testing out my rig to try and get these interviews. And uh, I just thought it was really important to take advantage of this opportunity to be in town with these great voices and leaders and show you the kind of work that DNC is doing in the matter. So I hope you enjoyed this kind of thing. We'll probably be doing more of them. I, I like being the roving reporter. Uh, <laughs> I'll do more roving reporter work. If you liked it, leave a comment, by the way, and uh, leave a reply uh, on our YouTube channel and let us know. Remember, our YouTube channel is On Democracy Podcast, uh, as well as when we're, we're on Midas Touch as well. If you could subscribe to both, I would love you to subscribe to both. That'd be awesome. Um, and uh, our Substack, of course, fpwellman.sub stack.com as always i am the chairman proud to be a chamber of the forgotten democrats talked about that quite a bit this week at the at the dnc forgotten democrats if you've gotten is a mission to elect and fund democratic candidates for congress with the least first you know those guys that remember what i've said many times 23 republicans ran unopposed last time um there are 40, you know, another 100, I even forget the numbers, there are so many, several hundred ran unopposed, okay? It's not acceptable. We have to fight back. And so I'm really proud to be part of the Forgotten Democrats. Uh, you can learn more. You can simply join our email list by texting Fred to 33777, or I'd love you to go to uh, ForgottenDemocrats.org and, and learn more about what we're doing. As always, you can find us, me, on, I'm still on X slash Twitter, FP Wellman. I'm really loving threads, FP Wellman official on threads, as well as on Instagram. Follow the show, like, subscribe, download your audio podcast, leave a review, leave a comment. You know I always tune in Friday night to see what you guys are saying. I'd love to hear from you as always. Thank you for being part of the Midas Touch family. I'm so happy being in the Midas Touch family. Uh, it's funny, when I met the chairman, uh, Mr. Harris, he said, oh my God, Midas Touch, sure, I'll talk to you. I love those guys. <laughs> it's fun to be part of a community that has that kind of reputation. They know it, and it's about you all. It's about the 1.6 million people who have subscribed to our network and are part of the Midas Mighty. And I, I just want to say personally for me, thanks to my friends, Brett, Brent, and uh, and, and, and Jordy, who are or Ben, Brett, Ben, and Jordy, who have been so generous as partners for me and for all of you, part of the Midas Mighty and, and your followers of the On Democracy podcast. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. We've got another great guest. We've got another great congressman coming to visit us, I think. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Keep fighting for our democracy. And I'll see you next week.